Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Our goal for everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends and their friends and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Purpose Podcast, your show for everything Purpose Church. Uh, my name is Jared Lemaster. Uh, I'm here as your host today. Uh, today is Thursday, June 1st. Oh my gosh, it's June already. And uh, this is episode 11, and we have a lot of great stuff to talk to you about today. Um, hope you guys are listening. Hope you guys want to interact. Please like send us some questions. Send them to... Um, what is it? Where's my email? Jarrett L at purposechurch.com. Uh, that would be wonderful. So please send me those questions so we can get those on the air. That would be wonderful. We'd love to discuss and uh, just kind of interact with you guys out there. Hey, um, as always with me is Caleb Spencer, everybody. How are you, Caleb? How are you doing today? I feel like there should be a laugh track or a clapping track. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Caleb Spencer. Yay. Caleb Spencer, everyone. I'm soon. good. I got yeah. a little cold, but I'm good. That's good. So Caleb and I went to go see the U2 concert. I guess this was probably a week ago Sunday in the evening. We went to go see the Joshua Tree. And I, I had this thought. If I had a time machine that could only go back to concerts, like, so, like, let's just, this is the greatest TV show ever, concert time machine. <laughs> <laughs> I would have chosen the Joshua Tree concert from 1986 or 7 or whenever mm. that was out. Mm. So I think I would have chosen that concert. So I felt like I got uh, transported back in time yeah. to a time before. To the time when things were, when foundations were being created. It was a, definitely probably been a, a smaller venue at that time. It, you think so? Back think, in the day? I don't know. I can't in imagine 87? they had 90,000 people or whatever. Maybe they did. Well, I think U2's been playing stadiums for a long time. Yeah. The last time I saw them, it was in 20, what would that have been, 13? And they were playing in the United Center. So it was big, but not that big it was you know twenty five thousand. it was twenty five thousand. they came to the united center one year and the next year they came to soldier field in chicago and the soldier field one was like huge but an outdoor but united center is like the basketball stadium in chicago these guys like they have like a it's a factory those guys make so much money oh yeah on i calculated touring. it's like three or four million dollars that weekend in ticket sales alone oh i mean amazing. that was it's probably more than that because that was the cheap LA. seats i just calculated on the basis of the cheap seats and I'm sure that, you know, lots of the seats were substantially more expensive than ours. So we had this amazing time. Uh, <coughs> Caleb and I sat next to each other. <laughs> so he got to experience like when we I'm saying really, next to each other, when I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so on this album, I knew every word except for some of the random songs on the B side. Yeah, same. No yeah. one actually knows like, <laughs> like <all> the, <laughs> a couple of songs. You're like, wait, <clears throat> is this on the album? <laughs> right. I, I thought this was on war. You're like, right. Wait a minute. I don't remember <laughs> this one. So people around us like moved because I think I was singing all the time. <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. I was just singing every word yeah. at the top of my lungs. Um, anyway. as, as well, you should. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, I was just going to look it up like, uh, what was the one? Oh, Exit. The song Exit. I was like... I love that song. I couldn't remember the words for that one. And I then uh, Trip Through Your Wires. I could never remember yeah, that one either. Right. No, yeah. Exit was the one. 
I, I listened to that on repeat. Well, actually, repeat meaning I had to re- rewind the tape back <laughs> to that spot. Out of reverse? Yeah, and I kind of figured out how long it took to rewind the song. That's so I would right. count yeah. to myself. I'd be yeah. like, one, two, three, four, stop, mm-hmm. exit. Yeah, it was cool. There's and actually tickets going on sale, speaking of concerts. Well, wait, for what? For another show that you should go to. Which one? The David Lynch I think it's called like disruption event or something like that. Oh, it sounds dark. Disruption something. Well, David Lynch is of Air, TV on the radio. Oh, shoot. The Kills. Okay. Um, Very cool. Laura Marling. Okay. I'm trying to remember who else. Man, Bon Iver is so cool. Yeah. Laura, like Laura Marling is the too. girl who um, the uh, Marcus Mumford was in her backing band before. Oh. He became Marcus Mumford. He was her drummer and guitarist. Which, by the way, can I just comment on the Lumineers really quick? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, really very good. And such a handsome bunch. Such a ha- <laughs> Oh, yeah. This is okay. This is a funny story. So Caleb was walking around, and somebody, you know, he was, like, walking to go get something to eat or something, and then he came back up, and there was a person that's like, hey, weren't you just on stage? <laughs> Like somebody that was uneducated in the Lumineers, but in Lumineers, Caleb, Caleb looks like the lead singer of the Lumineers, so that's why it's there so is cool. a guy named Caleb in the band too. Somebody told me that. Oh, that's funny. I was just gonna look it up. I don't know who he is, like which guy, uh-huh. but one of them is named Caleb apparently. Oh, that's cool. Well, you are a very cool-looking person. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. I try. I really like that. that. Yeah, sounds weird. I try hard. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be cool looking. I, I think try. when you start kind of approaching. The age that we are, <laughs> you sort of have to start thinking about these things. You're like, you have to try. Well, I have to like think. I have to go into like H and M or wherever to even have a concept about what's cool. Yeah. Because I don't have I don't have any context context anymore. I can't go to the Norsem Rack and be like, oh, this would work. Yeah. I have to be like, okay, where's a mannequin that I can compare this to? Yeah. You know. I think though. I mean, if you. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, in some ways, I mean, there's actually been a lot written about this recently about how things like Instagram and fashion blogs more generally like street fashion have just accelerated like change in in style which, oh, you know like how partly because it globalizes things because you know you can be on you know instagram and see the photos at Pitiumo that day in milan the day that all the men's shows are going on and like half of the show now is just the guys who work at the show for various fashion houses who are outside on the like there's like a patio that's like this famous space where uh, there's always these guys sitting on these like weird, they're kind of look like those things in the middle of the freeway. Yeah. And it's like this pebbled version of those things in the middle of the freeway where, you know, to block the cars. And there's always all these guys like dandied up sitting out there and, you know, and in all forms of fashion. But the point is like the next day, you know, you see somebody dressed like that in San Francisco and somebody in Milan, you know, who's from Manila goes back. You know what I mean? So well, it's, it's interesting it just globalizes really fast and it accelerates the it accelerates the change margin i mean think about like coolness is driven i mean this is getting into a whole nother conversation but it's driven by a kind of scarcity right and historically the scarcity has been increased by distance but now things like instagram make it almost instantaneous like right you, you have to like go out and find yeah you don't cool have to go thing. find the cool club in new york to find what the cool kids are wearing you can just like see someone's pics that night at the cool club and so yeah it kind of 
I mean, I don't know what it means long term for fashion cycles, but well, I mean, I think it's it's probably a broader thing than fashion cycles. Oh yeah, for it sure. has everything yeah. to do with everything. So we're all kind of globalizing our culture. There's a shared culture. So if you go to Europe or America or whatever, it's all kind of like this shared culture, and I think that kind of globalization is. It sort of is, happening. but on the other hand, it's also kind of creates all these microcultures. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, there's a sort of weird phenomenon in which it proliferates things really quickly. But then also, I mean, and, you know, maybe this is related to some of the things that have been happening in politics as well, because mm-hmm. it also reinforces the sense of the sort of, I mean, you can just follow certain people. I mean, just to use the fashion analogy, you can just follow certain people mm-hmm. and, and think that everybody's obsessed with like a certain kind of denim, right? But, right. but and because you only follow like 86 people who their entire feed is nothing but artisanal denim, you know, Japanese salvage cone denim. Oh and, my gosh. and you think like that's the world. And, and, and it is the world. Like there's people in Japan and there's people in Milan and there's people in New York and there's people in San Francisco. But of course, like that's only one little slice of the world, right? So, yeah. so on the one hand, you're right. It has created a kind of potential for to find the same thing everywhere. Right. On the other hand, it hasn't created homogeneity. On the contrary, it's created like all these pockets of like whatever you want to call them, microcultures or Well, it's weird how it's weird <coughs> how social media, the internet, everything is kind of creating actually instead of creating unity, it's creating division. Yeah. No, and, it's kind of weird. And it's a strange yeah, because you can you well, can get into loop a feedback cycle. Loop. I mean you That's get into the yeah. media I mean media ecologists are really interested in that right now. It's like how you know the internet is like a free space in one sense, but that actually that lack of form mm-hmm. constructs the potential to construct your own reality, right? Like, and that does create divisiveness because it doesn't confront you with diversity. I mean, so the irony of like the open internet is actually it shuts down diversity right. through free choice. Cause like normally in our free choice, I mean, this gets into all sorts of questions about what's our topic today. Like, well, favoritism. it's exactly, this is a great introduction. Yeah. It gets into that question of like, do we choose to be with people who are different than us? Do right. we welcome them? I mean, your internet choices don't have to welcome I mean, not internet, but, you know, whatever social media or other Well, I'll platforms. tell you, the, the weird thing about social media, I've, well, in, in, okay, so let's just kind of broach the subject that we're going to talk yeah. about today, yeah. because Glenn, Glenn on Sunday spoke about the passage from James that um, says, do not show favoritism. And what, and, and the way that he tied it in, which I think is great, is he kind of tied it into diversity in the church, Yeah, uh, which is extremely important. That's one of the major things on my heart. And we think about it in terms of racial diversity a lot, but I think we were even discussing in the pre-show like socioeconomic diversity, which we experience at our church too. Like our church is a pretty great example of a diverse church. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also very visible. I mean, that's not yeah. always, but it can yeah. be. I mean, like the favoritism, like to didn't he define it as to receive by face is actually what the word right that's right yeah and i mean things like socioeconomic standing they don't always it's not always visual but they are usually phenomenological like you can you can hear it you can see it there's a great book that i like called uh class like c-l-a-s-s but it's about social class by a guy named paul fussell and he has a chapter title that always has stood out to me, which is speak so that I may know you. <laughs> and his yeah. point is that like we read social class, not just in what we see, but in what we hear, the way a person speaks, you know, the words they choose. Well, that's been going intonation. on for a long yeah. time. I'm yeah, a huge, sure. di- I'm a, I love dialects. Yeah, I know that you did. So that's why I brought and it so up. Dialects the, themselves. Right. I mean, Cockney, I mean, there's that fun, yeah. wonderful moment in My Fair Lady right. uh, where she like leaves behind her Cockney accent for and a nice becomes, London brogue. And now becomes, she becomes yeah. received pronunciation. Yeah. She gets it. 
Yeah, and that there was literally a time in in British history where you could tell. I mean, people can still do it. I mean, if the dialecticians can tell exactly where, like, what region you're from. Yeah. I had a uh, <clears throat> I had a dialect coach <laughs> that taught me a Donegal accent, so like a specific Irish accent, Northern Irish, you know, County Cork, Donegal area, um, slightly different. Uh, but anyway, so she, I asked her where she thought because each person has their own idiolect based on their parents and based on like the people they learned English from. Yeah. Uh, and you develop it by the time you're five. And I asked her where my parents came from, and she hit it. She's like, one of your parents is from Fresno. The other parent is from uh, New England. Hmm. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> how did you do that? And and it's funny how in, in the past, though, that was a real indicator of class, like social standing and social status. Well, and ge- partly because geography, geography was a huge thing, too. I mean, mobility has changed that to some degree, but not not obviously completely. Well, totally. But I think um, so without further ado, let's start talking about diversity in the church about not showing favoritism based on socioeconomics and all of that kind of stuff um, that Glenn brought up on Sunday. So let's do it. Yeah. Sermon recap. <laughs> You're making fun of me. <laughs> sermon recap. Sermon, sermon recap. Sermon recap. So this last week, Jared asked me to get a radio voice. <laughs> this last week, Pastor Glenn preached on James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We're just going to read a little bit here. But it says this in, in the ESV, which he mentioned how there was a some disagreement amongst church people about which is the truly ordained (laughs) translation. (laughs) So it is the ESV people. Uh He says, my brothers show no partiality as holds, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme and dishonor the name by which you were called? I'm going to stop there. So then Glenn went on to talk about how Favoritism, which in the ESV is translated partiality, uh, is receiving by face or surfaces and um, judging and evaluating by those things. And he then discussed prejudice and um, what he defined there as an adverse judgment or opinion formed beforehand without knowledge or examination of the facts. And he talked about age and politics and education and race, um, and basically said that what we're being called to in James is to not show favoritism or be prejudiced. Um, yeah, and so he, um, I like his conclusion. I mean, he went through the passage really nicely and concluded by kind of two separate things. One, a kind of natural law point, which is that favoritism is dumb and illogical. <laughs> he used the example of that new movie, Hidden Figures, in which African-American women are are um, 
central in uh, NASA's. By the um, way, I went out and I watched it because I had bought it. Oh, yeah. And I watched it um, that night. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I just, my parents had it when I was up in Portland visiting. Um, and yeah, the point of the, of the example is that, you know, if you're prejudiced and decide that African-American women can't help you, then you're not going to get to the moon as quickly. So it's illogical. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then also it's unbiblical. And this is his second point um, that we're called to love our neighbors ourselves um, and that we are to be merciful. And so neither prejudice or favoritism are included in that. So he enjoined us to uh, <clears throat> encourage us to not be prejudiced and to not yeah. show favoritism. So let's talk about that then today, Jared. I mean, I think we both can agree that uh, Glenn spent some time talking about the church and its relationship to race and American culture and its relationship to race and and age too in, in terms mm. of Purpose Church, which has those interesting stats about <clears throat> how old, I mean, how the age um, brackets work, but also how the... Um, racial diversity well and i think what glenn glenn said is that so as far as the age diversity we actually have a really age diverse congregation i i feel like we do it and the way that we approach doing it over the last i guess 20 years when a little church history when glenn started coming here um we split the services up into venues like we spread you know we said okay this is going to be a traditional service this is going to be contemporary and then even more recently about 12 years ago 13 years ago they started doing a um, an even more contemporary service with the intention of kind of doing, you know, this reaching a younger you know population, which I mean honestly, I don't. I think that the new kind of separating the churches out, the church out into its kind of demographics um, has, according to the research in Fuller, has actually done some damage to the younger population, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you kind of look at like the high school, and this is something we can bring up. One of the reasons why Eric is in, in the high school ministry is going to be starting to do what they're doing, which is canceling Sunday morning for HSM and, and making the high school students serve in an intergenerational context is because what they're finding out is that um, after high school, because we've created this consumerism in people saying like, hey, we've created this specific service just for you and you are not, you know, this is your service. And then as soon as they end that, they're seniors, they can no longer go to high school. You know, the main the main campus or the main service really doesn't look like high school. Mm-hmm. And so they go, well, this obviously isn't for me. I'm going to go try to find a church that's for me. And then when they reach, like I've got friends that went to Mosaic until they realized that Mosaic was not the friendliest for f- young families. If you really want, you know, it's kind of more for young single artists, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, I loved Mosaic, and then I had kids, so now I've got to find something else. Um, and it's it's weird. So we create this like consumerism in church. I've got to find something that is specifically tailored for me in my stage of life, and that's what has created this separation of di- separation of generations. So now we have this statistic that says, you know, 40, 50, you know, even sixty percent of the high school students that are part of our youth groups are leaving the church. Uh, because the church really isn't designed for them, um, because we've created this monster. We've created this consumerist Christian that needs to be tailored to every time. So now that we're kind of approaching this intergenerational period in the church history, which is great, um, I think we stand a better chance of kind of hopefully keeping those students around. That's the because I guess what they're looking for, younger millennials and even the younger generations are looking for intergenerational experiences they, they want to know what it's like 
for older people. They want context. They want to know what Christians have done. The people that have walked this life and have and it's worked for them. They want to see them. They want to interact with those people mm-hmm. and be mentored by those people and have access to those people. I so, mean, again, we're talking about favoritism and the church, and we're talking about diversity in the church. Yep. And there's a sense in which, I mean, aesthetic diversity, whatever or whatever you want to call that, preferential diversity is not one that people generally think is in the value in the church, right? Like we right. should, I mean, some, saying something like this, like we should do things on Sunday morning. I'm a worship pastor. I'm Jarrett speaking. We should do things on Sunday morning that I think are ugly. Like that seems like an odd thing to say, but actually that's probably something that's necessary to well, say. Well, I would say instead of saying that, what I would say is I, we should do things on Sunday morning that they think are pretty. Mm-hmm. I would say that's instead of that, of the I same think are oh, right. But that's the right. That should be our new bell. But that's okay. <laughs> that's that's going to be really great in the sound there. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, but that's I would say, and I've been specifically doing this. Like that's two I, sides of the same coin, though. I, yes, but I think about it in a positive. No, way. No, no, like, I like it better that way too. It is better way to say it. Instead of thing, saying th- that I think are ugly, I need to appreciate what they think is beautiful. Yeah, and I think for me, that's and, what I do. Those and, are questions I literally yeah, ask myself. Yeah. And Glenn actually brought that up, I think, in a really helpful way in this sermon on Sunday when he talked about how uh, when we know a person, we either can't hate what they love or right. start loving what they love. Uh, And I think, I mean, those are two different ways of saying the same thing also. But but the point is that in a sense, relationship makes it more challenging. Well, confession time. Let me, let me just confess. Yeah. Uh, So the music we do on Sunday morning, I would say, and gosh, I probably shouldn't even say this, but like, I would say two thirds of it. I am so tired of, but I know that the congregation likes it. Yeah. Like there's there are certain songs that the congregation absolutely loves. I'm not going to tell you which ones that I'm not into. Yeah. But like I do them constantly. I mean, and I have this I've had this philosophy for a long time because what we do is not about us. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. about them. But that's that's the thing about church anyway. But that's actually true. I mean, yeah. In an odd way, that's I mean, often true. I mean, I'm a teacher and right. I think one of the assumptions my students make is that I teach the books I love, like because you have a certain amount of freedom and right. you must be teaching what you love. But I don't do that. I teach what I think they need to learn, not which well, is not the same. Things. I don't need to learn it because the whole point would be I already learned it by reading it or, you know, or I've already learned it in the past, which is why I know they need to learn it. Well, so, and that's one of the things about being a church leader. And I think even I can talk about my own context is that it's two things. It's saying I'm going to give you what you're going to worship to, but I'm also going to give you something that you need and something that's going to help you in the future. Mm-hmm. So like new music, I'm going to be introducing new music all the time. I'm going to give you two, two new songs a month and, and I, on average, but the, and those songs are going to be prayerfully, you know, picked uh, based on you and based on what the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart because I'm a leader or whatever. I'm basically a teacher of worship. So, I mean, something that came up in our pre-conversation, but also is brought up by the sermon, um, which was sort of latent in the passage for sure, and 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 Glenn said a few things about this in the sermon, but wasn't one of his main points. Um, is the question of sort of social class or socioeconomic um, favoritism and and uh, its relationship to the church? I mean, the the point in the in the James passage is that you're just the face here that you're determining between has to do with a kind of economic and social privilege. Like you're giving the rich man this benefit. Um, you're giving the poor man no benefit. And the point is like, that's a metaphor for sure within James, but it's also, I don't think a metaphor. I think it's what we see probably in the early church and what we still see today in the church, which is that we have a social class hierarchy and Americans generally, I mean, if you ask, um, this is one of my 
sort of areas of interest. But if you ask Americans in surveys um, what class they are, um, somewhere between 95 and 98 percent identify themselves as middle class, um, which you know, is not in one sense surprising since kind of the way everyone talks about class in America is either as a classless society or as everybody is middle class. But there's no statistical way of representing 98% of people as, as right. in the middle. Like that's not like a, actually a, like a reasonable, you know, there's no structure that makes sense. Well, of it's that. a lot of rich people are <laughs> calling themselves yeah, middle exactly. class. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's reasons for that. And, and we don't need to get into that exactly. But that just gives us like some background to how Americans think about privilege. I mean, because part of what's interesting about social class, whether you're talking about money or you're talking about education or you're talking about power and the ability to affect the things you want or social connections, um, is that they're obviously those things are in lots of ways goods and they're goods that are attractive to the church. Like they're things that are desirable. And, and yet James is enjoining us to not differentiate on the basis of those things. Well, so, the temptation for church people when a rich person comes in, you you want to put them on the board. You want to put them, you know, you want to make sure that they're going to tithe because then you get more money. Yeah. And and so then you could do ministry. And people justify it by saying that, okay, I'm going to get more money if this person's happy. And then we'll be able to do more ministry. So right. we've got to make this person happy. Yeah. And, and I think rich people that come in a lot of times, sometimes they exploit it and they say, okay, well, I'm going to give you my money, but I'm only going to give to this part of the church. I'm not yeah. going to let you be discretionary with it. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, the temptation is that. And what James is saying is don't trust the Lord for the finances. You know, yeah. like don't, don't, you don't have to respect people because in the world they're a good business person. Yeah. Well, he actually um, goes even further than that. Yeah. Though. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I mean, and this is an area that I think maybe it could be a whole separate podcast, but it's, <laughs> Not the case that the New Testament is is very positive about the rich or the wealthy or the the well situated in this life. I mean, Jesus' teachings against the Pharisees, for example, are him going against the university slash law professorate of the day, who were the people with the most <coughs> status in the community. So he has nothing but mean things to say to the people who have the most religious slash cultural status. And most of the time when things are said about money, they're about giving it away. And so, I mean, right. it is interesting that, I mean, again, this is, a, a, I think, a little bit of a sidebar from the sermon, but one of the things that is sort of countercultural about the faith is how we perceive both money and the privilege and status that attaches to well, money. Well, people with money and people with social status. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it says that God is not a respecter of persons, you know, like he's not like, like we are. Yeah. Um, We're persons... There means like status. Yeah, status. God right. does not respect God does not earthly, respect status. earthly status. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, and that is very hard to do for a Christian to it's not. Hard. It is very hard, hard to not be a respecter of persons. I think for we are everyone, trained it's hard. from our earliest <clears throat> days in kindergarten or even preschool to be right. respecters of persons, where persons means a status economy. And the, the earliest, I mean, they're not bad things. They're a lot of them are really good things. They create order, and you know, we have. You know, the, your first pastor and your first teacher are both examples of a kind of person in that sense. Right. But, but if that becomes too much of your vision, yeah, that's really a problem. Like, how do you not? I mean, I know this as a professor. You know, like, you know, oh, we have a professor amongst us, and yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, there's status is always relative. So it's like you might be, you know, have status in this context, but not in that context. Yeah. You know, but but the point is like. We are trained 
for lots of reasons to be respecters of persons. And, and that affects how we do church a lot and how we, yeah. you know, and it should in some respects um, affect it. Like we should value. Well, I think there's, there's definitely spiritual hierarchy that we should respect. I yeah. think, I think when people are, I like, I'm moving into an office right next to Randy Gardner and he to me is a truly mature Christian where mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't see that all the time. And so getting to be by him is such an honor because mm-hmm. like I'm sitting next to him in my office now and I'm going to get to kind of learn from him and watch how he interacts with people. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a spiritual hierarchy that's a, you respect spiritual authority mm-hmm. where if somebody is truly further down the road than you, uh, yeah. they are way more mature than you. They approach things more like Christ than you. Then yeah. Yeah. Like I think we definitely have that status. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's in, yeah, you're right. Like, and, and maybe again, this would just be an example of where, you know, we were talking before how some kinds of diversity we sh- shouldn't be, whatever the word is, like diversity of opinion in some areas is not actually a good thing. Some statuses are good things. You know, there's a sense in which yeah. we should show favoritism if we mean by that, like <clears throat> respecting somebody who's lived a life of yeah. faithfulness that can teach us um, and so that we don't want to we don't want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater right. on this one either but we but what we shouldn't be doing is when somebody walks into our small group whose clothes are not cool right. or whose you know cell phone is a flip phone deciding or, like this person has no value <laughs> because they are, and and those seem trivial but they're real like we don't know what each other's bank accounts are but clearly mm-hmm. our culture is driven by a sign system or a semiotics that's all about having the right things in order to convey, you know, through signs, the kind but of person you are. Co- yeah, culture has been that way for a long time. I used yeah. to always say, when I had a young adults ministry in Covina, I used to always say, you know, make outsiders feel like insiders. And one of the things that I, I've always had a heart for is those people that really truly are on the outside. And I want to see those people be brought into the inside, into the inner circle, so they feel like they're part of the community. And a lot of times, this is not just you know, socioeconomic or anything, it's, it's, you know, social, it's like awkwardness yeah. and yeah. that sort of thing. It's almost you know, innate, so, like their pers- personhood. Right. These people are just as much, they have just as much um, of the Imago Dei, the image of God, these awkward people, you know, that are sitting on the outside that maybe not, they don't smell good. Like they don't wear cool clothes. Like they, whatever it is, they're awkward. They're, they're like, they're interrupting you at, at really odd times. Like, I think as Christians, we don't get to be just interested in the cool people. Yeah. And no, that's a really good point. And I think that's one of the things that James is saying here, too. Yeah. It's like there are weird people out there, and God will care. God cares about how we deal with them. Yeah. And are we being exclusive of those people? Are we kind of like, oh, rolling our eyes every time, you know, Jarrett comes around because he doesn't smell good and he's awkward? Yeah. No, that's right. And, and the. It seems to me that the, I mean, maybe this is a kind of theological stretch, but I don't think it is. I mean, I think we tend to see ourselves, rightly or wrongly, as being unlike those weird people. Yeah. And and the reality is, is like, compared to Jesus, we are all that weird person who smells funny outside the circle. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we want to be Christ-like, what it means, I mean, whenever Jesus was welcoming anybody, he was welcoming the weird, smelly person outside the circle. Yeah. Uh, and he continues to do that to this day. So if we want to yeah. follow him, right. the difference between the most down and out sort of odd, you know, person who, who just really rubs us the wrong way yeah. and, and is, you know, lacking in all the things that would give status, the difference between them and 
and us is much less than just some difference between us and Jesus. Oh yeah. And so I mean, that which means that he's he's reaching down more <laughs> to reach us than we're reaching down to reach them. Yeah. Whoever we are. I mean, how how we treat the weakest of us, the um, the weirdest of us, the yeah. the most outside. Yeah. And that's I mean that's I mean God really cares. That's I think the the measure of a church. Yeah. And the measure of because it's about love. We haven't even talked about that at all. But really, what we're talking about is love. Like, you know, I mean, loving people in spite of their foibles and and things like that. Well, and I mean, that's the best version of diversity too. Is that you you come to realize that those things actually aren't possibly what what at first appeared to you as oddity turns out to be like some beautiful form. Use the word mosaic before, but some beautiful form of of a of a pattern or of of some piece in this thing you couldn't yet see. I mean, because you didn't recognize it because right. you weren't able. I mean, you quite, I mean, you used the word w- worldview before, but the way that you perceived the world was such that a person like that didn't fit into the mosaic that you'd, you'd created for yourself. But right. that's because your mosaic sucked, not because right. like it, it's, it's because not, your yeah. view was, it was limited and you, your, your view is messed up. Yeah. You discovered that there's actually, I mean, that's like, again, why Christians are the ones who first inaugurated the celebration of diversity, right? Like right. we are like, I mean, Jesus's ministry, one of the most fundamental things about it was the way he actually was really interested in diversity, like bringing in the least of these, the people that nobody mm-hmm. else wanted. Yeah, like, so he thought they truly, had value. If we're truly Christ-like, we're going to welcome sinners. Yep. We're going to put them into the center of our lives. We're going to welcome the awkward. We're going to welcome people with handicaps. We're going to, you know, we're going to welcome people that are poor. And one of the reasons why the church, I mean, even in the scripture, it says the church was not made up. There not many of you are powerful, like Paul Sagan. Not many of you are rich. Not many of you are of high social standing, like you know, because that's what the church is. Yeah. And so, and, and if we really think about it in terms of spiritual life, like you said, that's exactly who we are too. Well, and it's not, and it's important to know too, that I don't think that's just an attitude or just a thought. It's actually a practice. Right. Like, I mean, and there's very easy ways to do that. I think a lot of people think like, I have to go out and find like this really down and out person. But I think actually, if you want to start thinking about how status informs your life, is, is just try having a relationship with a person who you think doesn't add to your status. <laughs> you know, like that would be yeah. a very simple first step. Like this friendship is not going to improve how my Instagram account looks. Yeah, something that's or, not like, symbiotic. Yeah, I mean, like that's, I mean, honestly, like I don't think, I mean, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take a more radical step and like choose somebody who you know will bring it down. Like, but I, but I think we're so ingrained to think in terms of status. I mean, and, and they're often in these very hidden ways that we've learned from when we we're very young, like things like grades. And what is the point of grading other than to like show a status hierarchy? Like you're an A, he's a B, she's a C, he's a D. I mean, we've yeah. been trained very early on, you know, in, in our <clears throat> jobs. It's like, you know, you're going to be evaluated on the basis of this and this. Well, you know, you're not really doing quite yeah. what we'd hoped you know, well, you I think do. in society, we're talking about kind of a differentiating in society, which is necessary. You kind of have to have achievement and stuff like that. But but with the church. But it ingrains in right. our hearts. But That's the point. Like you, us. it we teaches carry, you a strategy that you then carry secular, over into other logics that it shouldn't be. It's a secular be philosophy that enters into the church. Yeah. It's another way that secular ideas enter the church where we need to yeah. dispel those. When you know, human beings were very good at operating logics, kind of like machines, like we just put them into play without thinking about like, oh, wait, this one doesn't work over here. Like right. it worked great there. This paper isn't as good as that paper, so it's a lower grade. But that person's not as good as that person, so I'm not going to hang out with them. Yeah. That one, does, the first one works. The second one does not. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think as Christians, we need to start thinking this way. We need to start thinking, how can we include these, these rogues, you know, these kind of misfits, like where, where do we fit them? And I think the answer is we fit them right in the middle, you know? And sometimes, you know, I've had, I've had people that I've welcomed into my inner circle where it's like not gone well, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's not that it really isn't like you can't do it based on this is going to be great for him. You know, he's going to be able to wear these cool clothes now and like he's going to look like me. It's not a Pygmalion situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? What it is. For those who don't know, Pygmalion is the story about which My Fair Lady is based. Yeah, My Fair Lady. So you've <laughs> the got George this. Bernard Shaw play published in 1899. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Um, Actually, no, I think it's 1920 something. But Oh, cool. I I'd see, I didn't even know that. I just know the songs. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I think. So what I, I it's, it's actually not, a myth before that, but. but I've had I've had people that I've brought into my small group that I knew were were kind of like outcasts, and I was like I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna bring you in and introduce you to all my closest friends, and and it's interesting how you know in certain situations it's they bit me they it's been it hasn't worked out well for me, mm-hmm. um, it's been kind of intense it's been a little bit scary, you know these people are damaged sometimes and. And it doesn't always work out. Sometimes, though, it does. And, mm-hmm. it, and it, like, it gives these people a sense of belonging. It, it kind of removes all those kind of awkward th- things that you kind of think, or you just stop noticing them, I'm not sure. But they become your friends, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you start loving these people in the midst of their brokenness or their awkwardness or whatever. So, um, anyway, all that to say, like, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You can't worry about that. Um, you just got to be like Christ and welcome those awkward people in. And don't be a respecter of persons. Well, and I think this is, um, I mean, I don't think this is why we do it, but when we do it, I think that that actually says a lot. I mean, when you think about what people think is true about the church, you know, they think it's a place where, you know, various forms of hate are the primary sort of motivations for Yeah, somebody, a secular person looking from the outside. Yeah, looking at what the church is. I mean, I think that there are ways that we can do a better job of showing what I think very often the church is um, in both my experience and I think in lots of people's experience, which is a place where the unwelcome are welcomed and where people reach out and create community with people who in other places wouldn't have, wouldn't like deserve in some way that community, you know, that they're welcomed and they're loved and they're included because the logic is not like, a transactional one like what's in it for me yeah exactly. and and the church speaks against thinking that the most important thing is our status and mm-hmm. our value to the world like that i mean and that that's an important reminder because our world teaches us and we teach ourselves because we are cut off from the ground of our being that we need to establish our value that we need to we need to constantly work that our primary job as humans is to work to demonstrate to ourselves and to others that we have value That's and good. and christianity doesn't teach that christianity teaches that you need to work to pour yourself out because you've got all the value that you could ever have well that each human being and i was telling my each human being is in the image of god we all have value because we we're all created by him including the outcasts including the unborn which are like outcasts in our society including people that are poor and all that stuff. We're all the same. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to start loving each other like we are all the same. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. Um, but uh, and it's a great conversation to have. We need to continue having. Um, yeah. So Stay tuned next week when we tuned. talk about ideas and <laughs> diversity of ideas. Diversity <laughs> of ideas. 
Which is unless we choose to do something to- totally different. Which a diversity <laughs> of ideas important in a culture like ours, uh, in the church. Well, especially as it relates to politics. I think yeah, you're politics, right that we should talk about we need diversity. Like of how ideas. do we sure. how do we actually think well about things we don't how do we think, think well are of, true. Yeah, people that we disagree with. Yeah. Uh we, that's something that as Christians we definitely need to have a conversation about. Yeah. Um which includes stop, like being ecumenical to and stop posting political stuff on Facebook to piss people off. We don't okay. have to say that. That's been said so many times. I know, but please stop doing that. Uh, we love you guys. Don't do it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's that's it for this week. Um, if you guys want to ha- leave a question or a comment, please email me at jarrettl at purposechurch.com. Um, if you guys want to, the, uh, the next barn event is going to be on June 25th. It's going to be in the B building for HVAC reasons. Uh, and uh, we're just going to have some extended worship. We're going to have some time to hang out. Um, it's going to be really, really cool, actually. Um, and then from there, we might go see a movie or something like that. So um, we just want you young people to get to know each other and to connect in a small group. We want you to connect in a service opportunity and services on Sunday mornings. Those are geared to you. So And please come talk to me after a service or something like that. And you might see Caleb at 9.45 or 11.11. He's the guy with the awesome long hair uh, that sits, gosh, he's in the front row somewhere in the front. And um, anyway, so look out for him. He's probably going to be wearing Patagonia. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all right, so without further ado, this is it. Uh, thank you guys so much. Um, and have a wonderful, wonderful week. And we'll see you next time on the Purpose Podcast.